Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. So much talk about election fraud. President Trump is tweeting about Dominion software that may or may not be doing all sorts of craziness. But one fraud that we know is real with respect to ballots goes all the way back to the days of Abraham Lincoln. That's right. A general used his troops to try and defraud the U.S. election in 1864. So November of 1864, people who are now veterans back then, they were soldiers. They were voting. And the voters we're talking about were voters in the Civil War, and they were stationed right here in New York. And I'm not going to read you this whole article, but it's in the Washington Post, if you could believe that. But it describes a scene of several people, one named Orville Wood and others, that were traveling to Baltimore, but they were in Clinton County back then in the northern eastern corner of the state of New York. And this guy was a supporter of Abraham Lincoln. America's first Republican president. Now, everybody, kind of like this year's election, and this is why you heard so many people saying, this election is so pivotal, similar to the election of 1864, because the vote would ultimately be a vote to either continue to defend the country, to keep the country together, or a vote to end the war and succumb to secession, racism, slavery, etc. Now, we know because this is uh, history that we won. At least, you know, Lincoln won. The country stayed together. What's interesting about the story is, well, let me not paraphrase. I'm going to read a passage to you. Troops from New York were allowed to authorize individuals back home to cast a vote on their behalf. Along with their mail-in ballots, troops would assign their power of attorney on a slip of paper that required four signatures. The voters, it would also require the witness an affidavit from a fellow officer as well. Now, these documents would be sealed in an envelope and shipped back home to be counted in the final vote. This was the process that Orville Wood intended to uphold. He would testify in court a little bit later regarding that whole process. He quickly found out what a challenge that would be. Wood arrived at Fort McHenry in Baltimore, where an army captain suggested there had been some checker playing when it came to the gathering of the soldiers' mail-in ballots. These suspicions of fraud were echoed when Mr. Wood visited wounded men at the Newton University Hospital. The rumors of wrongdoing led Wood to the office of Moses Ferry in Baltimore. So they went on and on and on to discuss the mail-in voting, establishing a pattern, I guess, because there was going to be a future presidential election for Ulysses S. Grant in 1868. 
So people were very politically motivated with respect to the 1864 election. Now, Wood was suspicious, but he masked his suspicions as he entered Mr. Ferry's office, portraying himself to be a strong supporter of Lincoln's opponent, George McClellan. This was enough to gain Ferry's trust, he later testified in court. Ferry told Wood that the votes from New York's 91st Regiment had already been tallied, 400 for McClellan and only 11 for Mr. Lincoln. Now, mind you, these are mail-in ballots. Wood returned to the office later following Ferry's instructions. He began forging signatures of the 16th New York Cavalry. Meanwhile, a clerk sat across the room signing ballots from the roster of names that Wood had brought with him from his home. Wood asked to personally deliver these fraudulent ballots. But Ferry said they would have to receive final approval from his colleague in Washington, Edward Donahue Jr. Donahue soon arrived in Baltimore and met with Wood. It was revealed during this conversation that 20 co-conspirators were already at work in D.C. to aid them in their plot to deliver votes for McClellan. The following day, Wood watched as Donahue and his crew formed a sort of assembly line, passing blank papers along from one to another to be signed with the names of acted enlisted men, wounded and dead soldiers, and officers who never even existed. Does that sound familiar to what's going on today? In addition to these operations in D.C. and Baltimore, the scheme extended all the way back to New York. Donahue had received a roster of soldiers from military officials and members of law enforcement. A letter from General Farrell said, quote, enclosed in this package, you will find tickets. Also, a list of names of the actual residents of Columbia County, now members of the 128th Regiment, with my best wishes for your success, end quote. A letter from the sheriff in Albany, Sheriff Cromdell, ordered them to send additional men to assist in Baltimore. The letter read, quote, all is well here and we are confident of complete success. It is unnecessary to say that all have confidence in your skill and abetting. We hope that you like our help. It was also discovered in Ferry's office that there were around 400 names belonging to sick and wounded soldiers under treatment at a nearby hospital. In reference to the roster, Ferry joked, dead or alive, they had all cast a good vote, end quote. That's from the general. So Ferry and Donahue and their fellow conspirators found humor in their illegal ballot stuffing. One accomplice mocked the outcry that he expected from abolitionist papers following this election and the corruption that went with that about these men bragging about their past successes and fixing local elections back home. So together, these guys shipped these crates with fraudulent votes back to New York, but the scheme wasn't over. Wood reported to the operation and to the authorities, Ferry's office was searched, and on the morning of October 27, 1864, less than two weeks before the election, he and Donahue stood trial before a military commission. Ferry offered a full confession that same day, even ratting out the others that were involved. Donahue was a little bit more staunch. Following after the first trial, the first day after the first trial, the reporter from the New York Times wrote, the honest electors of New York State have escaped an extensive and fearful fraud, a fraud in keeping with the proclivities of the party whose behalf it was initiated, but one that, if exposed, might have subverted the honest will of the people and left the state and nation at the mercy of those who would make peace with rebellion and fellowship with traitors. 
Now, there's a little bit more to this article, and I'm going to get to it on the other side of this, but I want you to just keep in mind that these arrests in New York and in Washington continued. They kept arresting more and more people as they found more and more of how this uh, election fraud was organized. Following uh, Mr. Wood's damning testimony and supporting evidence, Donahue begged for mercy from the court. He was a young man, newly married with no previous criminal record. He was literally melting because he realized the weight of the current situation and no longer expressed any defiance with what was going on in the proceedings. The judge advocate addressed the tribunal saying that Donahue had engaged in one of the most gigantic frauds ever attempted in America. Quote, a fraud which, if it was successful, would, in his opinion, have produced a disruption in the entire country and the war for preservation of the Union would have been at an end and it would have been futile. In the following months, Lincoln won. He got 221 electoral votes to McClellan's 21 electoral votes. Anti-abolitionist newspapers attacked his legitimacy, calling the trial another aspect of conspiracy conducted by the president to ensure his re-election. Doesn't that sound familiar? The commission that oversaw Ferry and Donahue's trial recommended life in prison for both men who sought to corrupt the election by mail. The president, who would soon be killed, approved. Now, I was just reading from an article in the Washington Post, and it was pretty interesting, I thought. Because to me, it seemed like it was describing the election of 2020, but it was really describing the election of 1864. And the title was Mail-in Voting. Well, let me give it to you just right so that I don't get it wrong. Mail-in ballots were part of a plot to deny Lincoln re-election in 1864. So I thought it was appropriate because they were talking about veterans or at least soldiers who were voting at the time. And why not? discuss something of historical context as we celebrate our veterans on Veterans Day, especially when it comes into how they cheated and you had corrupt uh, a corrupt general that had 20 co-conspirators working with him in 1864. And guess where it has started? Right here in New York. Right here in New York, the ballot fraud began. They were using dead soldiers, wounded soldiers. Some were military officers that they made up. And since they were at war in the Civil War, they were able to cast their votes by mail. Sound familiar? Dead people voting by mail. I mean, it's just it's amazing how, A, the Democrats aren't even that. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, creative. Right? They're just letting history repeat itself for the most part. Now, they they've done this in the past so to me it's it should be no of no surprise if they've tried to do it again but now we have technology and now they have partners now they have their buddies in facebook zuckerberg they've got um jack from twitter they have the media print media broadcast media cable media so so much of television and not so much radio but again npr npr is definitely in the tank I would say conservative talk radio is that last bastion of uh, resistance and and adherence to fact where we still try to use common sense so that we can look at things and say, hold on a second. So if they were stealing ballots in 1864 and it was the generals who were part of it, these guys were criticizing Lincoln after he won, saying he was illegitimately reelected, saying that he stole the election. But as we know from the historical record, who was it that stole the election? Well, it was the Democrats, right? It was the South. 
the Dixiecrats in the South, they were the ones that were trying to steal the election. And I just can't say that enough times because it's so important that that is a fact and that's what happened historically. Now, fast forward to today and we've got Bloomberg. I'm looking at Bloomberg.com. Not Mike Bloomberg, but his website. Trump's challenge to the 2020 vote, a state-by-state guide. So now I'm looking at this and I think to myself, okay, so it basically outlines a few things. It talks about President Trump versus Biden with 35,000 votes between the two of them. Now, the way this is written, it almost makes it seem like that's not a lot or if you, like it's somehow bigger than it needs to be. When Trump won Pennsylvania, I believe he won it with 22,000 votes compared to the five or six million that were cast in 2016. I'm no mathematician, but you're talking about a very small fractional number, 22,000. That's what that represents. So 35,000 is not a whole heck of a lot. Now, they're saying that it's slightly above the half percent margin that it needs to be to qualify for a mandatory recount. However, we've got people that are putting their names forward, people that are on the record saying that whether it was the United States Postal Service telling them to backdate ballots, saying that their supervisors were telling them to do it. And again, it did not necessarily have to be a conspiracy to derail the Trump campaign. I don't think that is necessarily the case, and it doesn't have to be. If they can prove that the Postal Service didn't do their job well or was fraudulent in postmarking these things so that they would count even though they came in after the fact, Whether or not they intended to defraud Trump or not, they did uh, defraud Trump and the campaign because they defrauded the actual voters, which would, in effect, disenfranchise them. So this is a very big uh, argument, and it's a complicated one. And the great one, Mark Levin, I love to give him a shout out because, again, nobody breaks it down like he does. You know, he's really one of the most relevant sources on these things. And in fact, As we were listening to the show last night and the night before, the arguments that he made over the air ended up in the lawsuit that was filed yesterday in Pennsylvania. It ended up where these lawyers are now arguing that their vote is being impeded because of equal protection. And this is something that was cited in the Gore v. Bush, excuse me, Bush v. Gore, where saying that Because they didn't receive equal protection under the law, these votes may in fact be invalidated. So we're going to wait to see what happens with that. And it's not 35,000 votes they're talking about. It's upwards of 2 million. And that's just in Pennsylvania. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. And we're definitely uh, only about a month away from seeing how that's going to play out a month and a couple of days. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. But I want to talk about this because this Bloomberg piece is very long. And, you know, if you don't, if you get into it, you'll see it talks about how many electoral votes 
are up for grabs. And it talks about who the projected winner is. And it goes through all this stuff. And as it's going through this stuff, what I find interesting is it, it keeps saying things like, according to experts, and it doesn't really cite the experts, and sometimes it may cite somebody in the article, but all I do is think, I don't have to read an article for historical context like I did earlier on the 1864 election, and that was in the Washington Times, I mean, in the Washington Post, excuse me. I just look back at 2016 where I was around, I was alive, I saw the whole thing. Every last person said Bush was going to lose, excuse me, Trump was going to lose. And what happened? Trump won. The experts were wrong. The pollsters were wrong. All of these talking heads were wrong. They lied to you. They lied to me. And Trump is in the White House today. Just like so many wannabe tough guys lie. So many demagogues lie. Because this is what they do. They like to lie. And then they think they're tough guys. Just like Andrew Cuomo and Joe Biden think they're tough guys. So keep it locked right there. We're going to get into these tough guys and a little bit more on the other side. I'm Rich Valdez. You're listening to This is America. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, bienvenido. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all social media. Make sure that you're following us on Parler at Rich Valdez on Instagram, because I want to stay in touch with you guys. For those of you still on Twitter, get out of there. We have to continue to get this message out. So it's not about being on less platforms. It's honestly, in my opinion, it's about being on more platforms. We have to reach more people. And Parler is a terrific platform. So make sure that you're following at Rich Cementa. That's Cementa with an S, at Rich Valdez with an S. And of course, the great one, Mark Levin, make sure you follow him as well so that you can stay up to speed on everything that's going down. Another thing I want to remind you to do is to check out PolitiWeek.com. PolitiWeek.com brings you weekly politics and analysis on everything from the latest headlines from a conservative perspective to some deep dives on history and other things. So keep it uh, in your bookmarks. Make sure you check it out, PolitiWeek.com, P-O-L-I-T-I-W-E-E-K.com. And these people at The View sometimes go crazy. They want to attack Trump. They want to put together an enemies list. I mean – it's beyond belief what's going on. Now, I want to talk about the angst that a lot of people have against President Trump. And I don't mean just the constant barrage of critique saying that President Trump is not quite a legitimate president. That was the one that they clamored on time and again since 2016. Not my president, right? Hashtag not my president was trending until like a week ago. And now... Biden's the president. They're foregoing any type of due process, any type of actual legality that goes into saying, you know, this guy will be president-elect once he's certified. All that out the window. They want Trump out and they want him gone now. And it's because I've talked about this before. When you hear so many of the Democrats speak, and I get criticized this, uh, on this a lot, people saying, well, Rich, it's not the Democrats. It's not a Democrat-Republican thing. I beg to differ. And I'll tell you why. Find me a group of Republicans that are calling for the death of anybody. And I'm not saying that they're angels. There were a lot of idiots during that were Republicans during Obama's time in office. So I agree that there's idiots on both sides of the aisle. I'll concede that point. But what I will say is that right now, nobody's saying we got to kill Biden because we don't like him. Nobody's saying that we got to get rid of these people. And But there are people that are constantly 
you know, making Trump in effigy and beating the crap out of him, hitting him with baseball bats, burning him. I mean, you know, Madonna said it's time to blow up the White House. There's just so many crazy things uh, of people just going out of character. Even Biden himself saying that these are radical right wing demagogues that want to reject the peaceful transition of power. That's not even true. And I think he knows better. And the reason I think he knows better is because in the last debate, he said that stuff. All right, let me see if I can get this quote right. Biden says, and here's the deal. We count the ballots, as you pointed out. Some of these ballots in some states can't even be opened until Election Day. And if there's a thousand ballots, it's going to take time to do it. Then he goes on to say, by the way, our military, they've been voting by ballot since the end of the Civil War. Now, you guys know we talked about that yesterday. And if you missed yesterday's show, definitely try to grab the podcast. I talked about it again, about the 1864 election where they used the military mail-in ballots to commit voter fraud. And I thought that was a really, really good story because I don't hear a lot about it. And B, it shows you how long they've been thinking of that. Maybe that might be what inspired Joe Biden. Joe El Baboso Biden, as I like to call him. So I don't know. But I do want you to hear him saying this. And again, this was... September 29th of this year at the uh, last presidential debate, at the first presidential debate. Check this out. Will you urge your supporters to stay calm while the vote is counted? And will you pledge not to declare victory until the election is independently certified? Yes. And here's the deal. We count the ballots, as you pointed out. Some of these ballots in some states can't even be opened until Election Day. And if there's thousands of ballots, it's going to take time to do it. And by the way, our military... They've been voting by ballots for since the end of the Civil War, in effect. And that's and that's what's going to happen. Why was it not? Why is it for them somehow not fraudulent? It's the same process. It's honest. No one has established at all that there is fraud related to mail in ballots, that somehow it's a fraudulent process. Okay. well, obviously, nobody's saying that mail in ballots are a fraud. People are saying that mail-in ballots, or mail, excuse me, I sound like I'm from another country, mail-in ballot. Mail-in ballots are ripe for fraud. They can be fraught with fraud because they're so vulnerable to fraud. I don't think that's a difficult distinction to understand, but it seems Mr. Biden can't understand it. Now, interestingly, he says, since the end of the Civil War, well, yesterday we talked about that at length. I spent at least 15 minutes talking about that, explaining how the general that was working with McClellan, the opposition running a campaign against Abraham Lincoln, decided, you know what? We're going to cheat. We're going to cheat using the names of dead soldiers in this civil war. We're going to cheat using the people that are in the hospital right now, soldiers that are hurt. That's what they've done. That's a fact, and that really happened. So for Mr. Former Vice President Biden to come across as saying this is not accurate, this is not um, proven. Well, it's not proven. Nobody's saying that that's the case. He constantly misrepresents the case. And it's this misrepresentation and this, what I'm going to use uh, the term that they criticized Sean Spicer for, this alternative set of facts that he's using is really what gets people going. And in particular, I want to use a couple examples. You've got people that are freaking out and to the point of violence. You know, I'm talking about they're talking about punching them in the face. They're talking about all sorts of things, creating enemies lists and all that. 
Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York. I like to call him Essential Andy from the Andy Cuomo podcast because, well, Essential Andy, he decided who was essential and who wasn't when he had people's jobs terminated. He was like a czar, a commissar, like a like uh, as Curtis Lee calls him, King Cuomo. And it's a uh, it's a shame because that level of power should never have been rendered to any government official. But he seized it and no one checked him on it because they systemically oppressed us from our own liberty within government. Little by little, they've pushed us out so that they realize you live off of me. I'm the government. I'm in charge and you live off of me. And we all know that's not the truth. I worked in the government. I actually had a government paycheck. And I got to tell you. It was a difficult time for me. I hated the fact that I was being paid um, by the taxpayer and the taxpayer had no say, honestly, over anything. In my job now, if I do a bad radio show enough times, I'm out. (laughs) That's just how radio works. If people don't like what you have to say, they're going to find somebody that's going to do a better job than you. So you have to make sure that every show you did was better than the last one, at least in theory. It may not always work out that way. But you want to work on your craft. You want to be the best broadcaster you can be because it is a free market. And people have choices. And the listener doesn't have to listen. So we value the listener. Even if I hang up on them abruptly because I'm short-tempered. That's fine. That's my choice that day. And, you know, you don't have to listen to me again. That's your choice that day. (laughs) And I'm not telling people to turn me off. I'm just saying that is how it works. Now, every now and again, you find this rare anomaly like the late, great Bob Grant who reigned in conservative talk radio from right here, Talk Radio 77 WABC, for you know more than a dozen years having the top show in America. And it was a local show, having incredible ratings, because he was so great at his craft. He was so good at what he did, and he was so authentic in his opinions. He never vacillated. So people would say, man, you really are nasty. But man, I love it. And people would call in to be insulted by Grant. And I, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure many of you have heard Mr. Grant. And if those who didn't, he's on YouTube and you can check it out. And it's absolutely amazing radio. But going back to that, in the remaining moments that I have, <laughs> we're going to have to bring it down to Cuomo. Cuomo gets on his high horse and says that he would beat the crap out of Trump. He would deck him on the Howard Stern Show. Listen to this. I needed him to help New York. That was my job. If I wasn't governor of New York, I would have decked him, uh, period. I mean, he was attacking me. He was attacking my family. He was uh, anti-Italian. He was uh, every nasty thing. You know, you, if I take away that word governor for 24 hours, I would have had a field day with him. That reminds me of when uh, good old former Vice President Joe Biden said, you know, I'd like to take him behind the bleachers and deck him. I'd like to punch him in the nose. And you know, and I thought to myself then, and I say it now, who in their right mind, 78-year-old Joe Biden versus 74-year-old Trump, who just had less than a month ago coronavirus, I'll put all my money on Trump all day, every day. The stamina that Trump displays on the campaign trail, nobody's getting close to it. At least definitely not Biden. I don't see Biden getting a shot in. With Uncle Joe, with uh, with uh, with El Trumpito. Uncle Joe's going down in this one. Now, Sonny Hostin, and I'm not going to get to the audio, but I'll tell you, she was talking about these enemy lists that people are saying because AOC, she mentioned, I hope we're archiving this. And then a former Obama staffer, Michael Simon, said, you know, 
we have to keep an eye on these people, and we're doing it through this organization called GLAD, GLAD with two A's, talking about anti-LGBT stuff that the president uh, and his administration have said. And quite frankly, I don't believe it to be true because I think there's more gay people in the Trump administration than before. But all that being said, these people are trying to make it look like Trump is a dictator, like there's something that he hasn't done to to move the country forward, to make it great again. And we all know that's exactly what the president's been doing, whether it's AOC, Sonny Hostin, or anybody else that wants to make an enemies list. I say the same thing to them. VPLM. Vete para miércoles. Because, honestly, I could care less. I've been put on one of these lists before, back when I worked in Veritas, as I've mentioned to you. I'm not going to give in to the mob. You shouldn't give in to the mob. None of us should give in to the mob. Because... America was built on rejecting the mob, on rejecting the tyranny of the king. I always tell you, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. That's from Hamilton. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. That's a paraphrase from Sir Edmund Burke. So it's time for you to rise up and do something. Whether it's hashtag stop the steal or anything else sending money to the campaign, whatever you want to do to support this cause, you've got to do it. I constantly encourage people to get involved. I constantly encourage people to do more and to get out of your comfort zone and think of new ways of doing this because if you feel like we're about to lose our republic, you're right. We've already lost parts of it. So now it's up to you and me and everybody listening to start to restore the republic. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. 